As we come now before God's word, uh, if you'd like to read with me, we'll start here in Exodus chapter 9, if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 9. But before we read, and even before we pray, let me just make a few mentions here. We are about to meet here in this third and final cycle of the plagues of Egypt, uh, the plague of hail, of locusts, and of darkness. So we're taking these plagues, number seven, eight, and nine, that will lead us right up to the doorstep of the tenth and last plague. Uh, This section is long. Uh, We we see here two of the longest descriptions of of plagues in the whole set of them. Uh, But we'll mainly focus on just the first few verses. They're the key, I think, to the rest of this section. So I wrestled with how to do this uh, text for us. I thought... Perhaps I might summarize this instead of reading it all, but I decided instead to go for it. Uh, so we're going to read and hear all 52, of, uh, two, 52 verses of this section. That's quite a long, quite a long go, uh, but listen. Listen as we read this very long section. It's good for us to hear longer sections of Scripture, sometimes all put together. Uh, So we'll read here in just a moment. Before we do, would you please pray with me? Uh, Lord, we know your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So by your word, not only do we see, but we are able to walk by it. Would you shine a light now in our hearts so that we can see? Stir in us belief so that we would love and follow you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is Exodus in chapter 9. We'll begin here in verse 13 and read all the way through the end of of chapter 10. So, buckle down. Here we go. Exodus chapter 9, verse 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself and on your servants and your people so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose I have raised you up, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people, and will not let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. Now therefore send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter, for every man and beast that's in the field and not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and in every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. And then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. 
And the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down to the earth. And the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as never had been in all the land of Egypt since it had become a nation. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I've sinned, the Lord's in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord, for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. The flax and the barley were struck down, for the barley was in the ear and flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down, for they are late in coming up. So Moses went out from the city, went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hand to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased. And the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of the Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I may show these signs of mine among them. And that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and said to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let my people go, behold, tomorrow I will bring locusts into your country and they shall cover the face of the land so that no one can see the land. And they will eat what is left to you after the hail. They shall eat every tree of yours that grows in the field. They shall fill your houses, the houses of all your servants and of all the Egyptians, as neither your fathers nor your grandfathers have seen from the day they came on earth to this day. Then he turned and went out from Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh's servant said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? Let the men go that they may serve the Lord their God. Don't you understand that Egypt is ruined? And so Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. And he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God. But which ones are to go? Moses said, We will go with our young and our old with our sons and our daughters, with our flocks and herds, for we must hold a feast to the Lord. But he said to them, The Lord be with you if ever I let your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in in mind. No, go the men among you and serve the Lord, for that's what you're asking. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the land of Egypt for the locusts 
so that they may come upon the land of Egypt and eat every plant in the land, all that the hail has left. And so Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. When it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts. The locusts came up over all the land of Egypt, settled in the whole country of Egypt, such a dense swarm of locusts as has never been seen before nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened and they ate all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field throughout all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now, therefore, forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. So he went out from Pharaoh and pleaded with the Lord. And the Lord turned the wind into a very strong west wind, which lifted the locusts and drove them into the Red Sea. Not a single locust was left in all the country of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days. But all the people of Israel had light where they lived. And then Pharaoh called Moses and said to him, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. But Moses said, You must also let us have sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also must go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must uh, take of them to serve the Lord our God. And we don't know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. Moses said, As you say, I will not see your face again. This is the word of God. Now, we've crossed the halfway point in the plagues here. These are numbers seven, eight, and nine. The plagues are starting to break down Pharaoh, at least in some ways. We hear him begin to confess in these sections that he has sinned against the Lord that he's done wrong. And to be clear, this isn't real confession. There's no humility here. There's no real repentance or desire to change. He's just saying he's wrong to try to get the plagues to stop. But Pharaoh still won't let the people go as the Lord has commanded. Instead, he tries to negotiate a deal with Moses. So in the hail, he says, okay, I'll let you go. 
but then he takes it back when the hail is done. That's not going to work. With the locusts, then he says, okay, I'll let you go, but just the men. I'm going to keep the women and kids with me so that you'll come back. Mm, That's not going to work. And then with the darkness, he says, oh, okay, I'll let all the people go, but you have to leave your flocks and your herds with me. No, that's not going to work. God is not a car salesman. This is not here to make an offer you can't refuse. He is the Lord of all the earth, and he has made a command to Pharaoh. Pharaoh continues to be stubborn, and yet the Lord God will get what he has commanded. He will. We see toward the beginning of this, Uh, in chapter 9, which is where we'll focus just these first few verses. We hear this in verse 14. Uh, The Lord says, For this time I will send all my plagues on you yourself. That's new. This time I'll send all my plagues on you yourself. Uh, The English there kind of blurs over the Hebrew metaphor. If it was left alone, the, the Hebrew language says, I will send all my plagues on your heart, Pharaoh. You know that hard heart that has led you deeper and deeper and deeper into rebellion against me? I'm going to send these plagues like an arrow straight into that heart, and it will crack you open like an egg. Pharaoh, you will let my people go. You will. After he says this, then the Lord gives Pharaoh a hypothetical situation. Hypothetical situations are pretty rare in the scripture, uh, but they're pretty common in real life. So we, uh, at least some of us, fairly frequently imagine hypothetical what-ifs. And sometimes we can get stuck in the hypotheticals, the what-ifs, and and, and just sink in them like quicksand. So, you know, uh, have you ever just mulled over in your mind before you're, you're going to sleep? You know, what if I had said this? What if I had made that decision? You know, what if if I hadn't done this? What if I had avoided that? And you can kind of roll over what if, what if, what if, what if, and just sink into it. There's a scene in the Chronicles of Narnia series. Forget what number book it is. Prince Caspian is the book. But Lucy, the youngest, the cute little girl, the youngest of all the the Pevensey children, makes a pretty bad, bad, bad decision. And it's her fault, nobody else's, and it it, um, puts her friends at risk. And so she meets Aslan, the lion, the good king, and she begs Aslan to tell her what might have been if she hadn't done that, what might have been if she'd done differently. And Aslan looks at young Lucy and says this, he says, To know what would have happened, child? No. Nobody has ever told that. But anyone can find out what will happen. Follow me. That approach is freeing, honestly. 
it'll lead us around the quicksand of getting stuck in the what if, what if, what if, what if. And it actually fits with the overall thrust of Scripture. We are not meant to mull over what might have been. We might reflect upon what has been, but then we're to move ahead into what will be as we seek to follow Jesus. So all that to say, when we see a hypothetical situation here, it's a pretty rare glimpse in the scripture into what could have occurred. It's a sort of alternate timeline. What might have been? In verse 15 of chapter 9, the Lord says this, For by now I could have, by now I could have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. In other words, the Lord says here, Pharaoh, I could have just dropped the boot with one big plague. And it would have just been with, done with you in a snap. Would have brought my people right out of the rubble of Egypt, no problem. I could have done that, hypothetically, but I didn't. Why? Why does the Lord say this? Why does he go on to have ten plagues instead of just one to accomplish his purpose? The answer he gives is in verse 16, and this will be our focus for the rest of the time. Verse 16, but, but, he says, for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Do you see his goal here in the Exodus? You can see the line of thinking here. I have raised you up, Pharaoh, so that my point in raising you up in the midst of these is to show my power. Not yours, mine. To show my power. But that's not the end. There's a bigger goal even in showing his power. I show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The Exodus is not just about delivering someone, it's about declaring someone. The Exodus is not mainly about let my people go. It's that the process of letting the people go will be the means of proclamation about God. That's his big goal, that his name would be proclaimed in all the earth. That means that the entire Exodus event, including all of the ten plagues, is evangelical by nature. It's evangelical by nature. It has an evangelistic purpose. What do I mean by that? The word evangelical culturally has kind of morphed into something that it doesn't or at least shouldn't mean. So if you say you're evangelical to someone else, often that has connotations or associations of things like power, politics, and privilege. And it's just a shame that it has been reduced to that. And honestly, we have some responsibility for that reduction. We sort of played into that line of thinking. But in the Bible, evangelical means something different than that. Evangelical comes from the Greek word euangelion, meaning you meaning good, angelion meaning news 
or message. So evangelical means good news. We also sometimes call this gospel, the good news of the gospel. And in the New Testament, this good news of the gospel usually refers to what Jesus has done to save his people. That Jesus has died for sins according to the scripture and that he was raised to life again on the third day in an act of power and love. And that a Christian who puts his or her faith in Jesus then is totally, totally right now cleansed from all the guilt of sin. Because we have died with Christ And we're also raised to new life with Christ that as we continue to sin and wrestle with that, the guilt is cleansed, but we're now guided in this joyful obedience as we learn to follow by the Spirit. He's training us in holiness. All of this comes by grace through faith. It all comes by Jesus that we're now dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, that he's now made us citizens of the new kingdom of heaven, and that is news. It's good news. This is about what Jesus has done. The gospel then makes Christianity as a religion unique from other religions. The gospel says Christianity is not mainly about something we do, but it's a report about what has been done by God. The gospel is news to be proclaimed. You know, extra, extra, read all about it. That's what we mean when we say the gospel is evangelical. Now, when it comes to Exodus, this section is also evangelical by nature. It is also a proclamation of good news. Uh, To be more specific about what that news is, in verse 16, he says, let me read it again. For this purpose I've raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. The good news that's proclaimed is the name of the Lord. The headline on the newspaper is to inform us of who God is is who the Lord of all the earth is. Now, our role in this is that we become the newsies. Put on the little hat, ride the little bike, chinka chinka, tossing papers out, extra, extra, read all about it. We now become the official proclaimers of the name of God. That's a large part of our purpose. Peter talks about this, just a single verse in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 9. He says this, But you, Christian, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that... So that, here's your purpose, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He's already done that. He's already called you out of darkness into light. Now you are to proclaim his excellencies in that. So if we are to proclaim the name of the Lord, if we're to proclaim his name, the question then becomes, to whom do we proclaim his name? 
Who are we carrying the newspaper to? We proclaim the name of the Lord to at least three groups or persons. There's much more than this, but I read a long text, so I'll keep it to three. That's the rest of our time here. To whom do we proclaim the name of the Lord? Here's the first. We proclaim the name of the Lord to all the earth. There's a small one, right? We proclaim the name of the Lord to all the earth. In other words, to those who do not know the Lord. These are to people who are unbelievers. So after Jesus lived on earth, died, was resurrected, and one of the last things that he did before he ascended back to the Father was to do this, to proclaim his name in all the earth. He says it at the very end of Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verse... I'll pick up in verse 46. And he, Jesus, said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. He says here that you're to proclaim a repentance, a forgiveness of sins that only comes through the name of Jesus. You're the witnesses of that. You, all believers, not just the job of the priests, not just the jobs of the, the, the evangelists or the missionaries. No, you, you know me. You are the bringer of the good news to the nations. And when we hear the word nations, usually that draws up, you know, pictures of foreign missions, which is part of it. But he says here, if you'll notice, you'll bring his name to the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Start where you are right now. There are people in your backyard and around you. You have neighbors who don't know Jesus. You have friends who don't know Jesus. You have family who don't know Jesus. Maybe a daughter, a spouse, a brother, a mom. We know that no one can change the heart but God alone. But how will those people at least come to know the Lord if they have not heard? How will they know unless someone tells them and maybe even tells them again and again and again? Some people might say to me, Nathan, I don't feel like I know enough to share the good news. I don't think I know enough. That isn't true. That's not true. You don't need a seminary degree or some sort of specialized training to do this. You are not proclaimed, you'll notice, to, you're, you're not called to proclaim all the, the doctrines. You're not called to proclaim all the answers. You're called to proclaim his name. You're called to proclaim who he is. And if you're a Christian, if the spirit of Jesus is within you, you know who he is. You know God. There might still be plenty to learn, but you know him. 
If you've sat here in this room or out in a car and you have listened to the word of God in Exodus, you know part at least of God, who he is. So what is stopping you? What is standing in your way to proclaim his name to people who need to hear it? Whatever that is that's in your way, get it out of the way. By the power and grace of God, push aside with all the strength you've got. Push aside the fears, the doubt, maybe even the apathy in your own heart to speak up and share that good news with all the earth who does not know the Lord, starting with your own little patch of ground. That's the first. We proclaim to all the earth. The second is that we proclaim the name of the Lord to each other. We proclaim the name to each other, to other believers. We all need to hear this. I need to hear this. But especially there's a point made about our littler ones needing to hear this. The Lord says in in, uh, chapter 10 of Exodus, verse 2, He's picking up in the middle of the sentence, but he says, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I've helped, dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I've done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. Make sure that your kids and your grandkids hear this. Our kids are listening to us. Hi, kids. Let's make sure they hear things that will be life-giving to them. And if you think, well, I don't have any kids. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. All of our kids are your kids. And they need to hear you proclaim the name of the Lord. To tell them who their God is. My kids in particular probably need this. Because as they grow they are likely to listen to you more than they will to me. Not only because that's the way kids often go, but just because, well, I'm a preacher. And even though I really believe the things I say, it's my job. So it's easy to dismiss it. They need to hear from you. We can do this anytime to proclaim the name of the Lord to each other, of course, not just on a Sunday, but we do it especially when we worship together. The Psalms are full of proclamations about God that are meant to be shared with each other. We often use the Psalms in our call to worship this morning. Uh, where was it? Psalm 78. Psalm 78 goes on to talk about all the wonders and the works of the Lord, Exodus and, and, and otherwise. Um, but we all say this to one another. It's not just me, the pastor, saying it to you. We call one another to worship. So we say things like, we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might, the wonders he has done. He commanded our fathers to teach to their children and the next generation that they might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children. Listen to the end of that, that they would set their hope in God and not forget the works of the Lord, but keep his commandments. 
the, one of the outcomes of proclaiming the name of the Lord to each other is to help us know how to uh, remind us to obey his commands, to not forget his works, but really to set our hope in God. I need to hear that from you. You need to hear that from me and from each other. We proclaim the name of the Lord to each other. Now, third and last one. We proclaim the name of the Lord to the Lord. We proclaim the name of the Lord to the Lord. If you pay close attention to the hymns that we sing, especially the words as you sing through them, which I hope you do, and don't just read them and kind of go on, that you actually give a thought to the things that you're saying. You notice sometimes we sing about God to each other. Today we sung, we have a story to tell to the nations. We're talking to each other in that moment. We, we, you and I, we have a story to tell the nations. Uh, So since we're talking to each other, that means don't just sing in your own heart. Don't just mouth the words and let nothing come out. Because we need to hear each other say this. So actually use words as you sing. That's part of the point of singing a song to one another. But other times we are singing songs about God to God. So there's tons like this, but one we sang today, all glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King. All glory, laud, and honor to you, Redeemer King. We're actually speaking to God as we're singing. We're talking directly to God in song. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. We adore you, God of glory, Lord of love. And even though the Lord can, of course, hear us when we sing in our heart. It's important that we use our voices when we sing to him, too. So Moses is the last. We'll ride this wave to the end. When all of these plagues have ended and the people are on their way out of Egypt, Moses then leads the people in a similar sort of thing that all the plagues are over, they've crossed the Red Sea, and then he sings a song which he teaches to the people in chapter 15. The start of the song is, I will sing to the Lord. He's addressing the Lord in song, and in that song he says things like, you have stretched out your right hand. You have sent out your fury. You have blown the sea with your wind. You have led your people in steadfast love. You guided them by your strength. He's speaking to God about God. He's proclaiming the Lord to the Lord, not because the Lord forgets who he is, not because the Lord just has a big ego. We need to tell him how great he is. It's because this act of praise is fitting to the Lord. We praise our kids, and hopefully also each other, by telling them things about themselves sometimes. You were really kind today. You know, you're really smart. You were really patient just now with me. Thank you. These are good and right things to do with each other. It's a similar sort of thing when we give praise to God. We are saying to God, you are like this. 
God, you are kind, you are smart, you are patient and powerful and just and merciful and loving and all the things we can think about him that are true. So this is the Lord's purpose here in Egypt. That to all the earth, to all his people, and even to himself, that his name would be proclaimed so that he would be honored and glorified with all the praise he deserves. Would you pray with me? Lord, we know it's true that there is none like you in all the earth. And you are worthy of all the greatness we can attribute to you. You are worthy of being exalted to the highest place. Help us to desire and even to delight to praise your name so that we and the world would know that you are the Lord. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.